This is a 980 CKNW podcast. The lights are low. The mood's been set. It's time for love and health. It's been said, your health is your wealth. The benefits of great health cannot be overstated. Good health leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show about health. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual. Uncovering what lies beneath the sheets. I'm Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, author of the book Sex and Health, a blogger, clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you live life to the fullest. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies. Just fearless, straight-up nurse talk. I guarantee it will be illuminating, enlightening, and a little bit of fun, so please stay with me. Do put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. We are going under the covers. Feel free to email me, nurse talk at hotmail.com or go to my website back to the bedroom.ca you can always give me a call the lines are open here 1-877-399-9898 that's 1-877-399-9898 good evening andrew how are you I'm okay. I'm, I was about to. I was about to uh, announce the latest Oscar, but there might be people listening who don't want that spoiled oh, for them. Recorded. But I will tell you that an Oscar was just handed out for a thing. Oh. <laughs> so don't worry. I, something happened. An event occurred at a, at an award show in Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> now you've really piqued my interest. Just text me, will you, please? <laughs> I have no I can patience. Leave a message. <laughs> It was for original song. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll announce that much. do. Well, as you said, it's Oscar night tonight. And have I got a screenplay for a movie? Screenplay worthy 100% <laughs> from, uh, from what I've heard. And that's, uh, that's going to be a really good, uh, that's going to be a really good listen in my opinion. Oh, well, yeah. I'm looking forward to talking to Jim. So we're in for a... This first story. Yeah, we're in for... We're in for a good night, I think. I think so. Yeah, we've got lots of great stories coming up. Lots of people sharing their stories, which I totally love. But the first story is for any parent who has ever thought about having an extramarital affair. Uh, Jim joins me uh, right after the first break, and we're going to be talking about, amongst other things, parental alienation. It can happen to you. Also, Deb Evans joins me tonight to talk about her health and wellness journal jur- journey. Sorry, she probably journaled during it as well. As a successful, working, single, stressed-out mom, can you relate to that? (laughs) She went on a journey uh, to change some of her ways, look at some of the ways that she coped, and in the end had an incredibly successful, (laughs) health-positive, shall we say, without giving it away. Um, She lost 33 pounds. She's going to share her story, which is going to be airing in a six-part documentary coming up uh, starting this week. We're going to be giving a little bit more information about that. Um, I've talked about weight before, as you know, and um, there are a number of different ways, and Deb is certainly going to talk about her journey. But uh, I also want to talk to you about the DASH diet for depression. Many people suffer from mood disorders, and it can be a vicious cycle where you feel down and low, and, and you, what do you do? You crave the carbs, and you eat them, and you just you know grab the bag of bread, and there you go. That's what I'd do. Uh, anyway, so I've got uh, – so people do like to have a tool. 
uh, tools and techniques to deal with some of their issues. And so this particular diet may help with your mood. Also, speaking of dieting, sometimes it become it can become pathological. So I'm going to be talking about some of the signs and even some of the more subtle signs that you may have an eating disorder. It's not just about food. It'll surprise you. It may surprise you to learn just what it is about and just how common it is and just how many Canadians we lose to eating disorders every year, about 1,500. It's a shocking uh, illness and it is a mental illness and mental health is a critical part of it. And it's important that we learn about it, especially for teenage girls. It can be a lifelong problem. Um, and especially because of social media and all the ways that we can carve out our bodies on social media, alter what we look like, uh, whether it be our face or our, or our body, and that may not be reality. So stay with me, and I'm uh, going to learn a little bit about that. Of course, keeping your weight off can take years off of your looks. You can look a heck of a lot younger. Oftentimes when people lose weight, they, they take five to ten years off of their face. Aging is not for the faint of heart. So how old are you really? There's chronological age and there's biological age. And there's an age that's a telephone number and it's unlisted. May I advise that for all of you? But can a simple urine test tell you how old you are? The cups are lined up over there, Andrew, okay? <laughs> Pee in the cup. Um, you know, I actually get really excited in my office when, as I deal with patients that have bladder bowel and sexual health issues as well. And so sometimes they're related and sometimes people have both. And so I, I do this urodynamic testing and, and I'll ask people to void and, and people are really dry. Often they won't, uh, they, they don't drink enough water. They, they actually cut back on water, especially if they're leaking urine. I know that's not the sexiest subject, but, and so I'll ask them to void and, you know, dark, a small amount of dark urine comes out. And, uh, but if they have a decent void, like clear yellow urine between 400 and 600 cc's, I literally will walk in after they're finished because it's on a, we have a portable commode and there's a, a device that measures the flow and the rate and, and, all, and the volume. And, and I'll walk in and if I see a decent void, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And I always say, I'm really the only one around here that gets excited about urine. Anyway, I do get excited about urine and I'm really excited to learn that urine may hold the key to your true age. Okay. Also, many people suffer traumatic events in life. We used to associate it with war, people who had come home from the war, post-traumatic stress disorder. But there are many different faces of PTSD. Uh, sexual assault, people may uh, suffer with that. May, they may have witnessed, uh, some of the patients that I have worked with have witnessed the death of very close relatives at, um, at point-blank range um, through gunfire. Uh, on Christmas Day, I had a patient who experienced that. So what are some of the new PTSD treatments that are available out there? I'm going to be reviewing those tonight. And um, speaking of, uh, which we started out here talking about extramarital affairs or just the thought, <laughs> you might change your mind after you hear Jim's story. Um, but I get this question often in my clinical practice and I get emails and uh, and this so the question so often is, people will present to my clinical practice who may be engaged in an extramarital affair, in large part because of a sexless marriage or an unresolved conflict or after having had a baby, um, and 
so people will say to me, you know, they don't typically want to leave their marriage, and they but they want to have the sex. So they will ask me, how do I work on my marriage when I'm having an affair? Well, the first thing is you have to end the affair. I know that's hard. It's really hard. It's not easy to do. Um, and But you have to do that. And there will be a grief process. There will be grieving for you and the person with whom you are having the affair. But if you want to work on your marriage, you have to. That's just rule number one. I got this email. Dear Maureen, I'm 74 years old and I have a huge passion for a man that I have recently met. He is in a non-affectionate, no-touch, no-kiss relationship with his wife of 40 years. I'm single now and would love to marry again. Should my friend feel guilty about seeing me? We don't really have intimate relations either, but touch and feel and laugh and hug, and it's wonderful. I adore him, but don't want him to leave his present situation unless he loves me too. What do you think is best for us to do? Well, first of all, I can't tell anyone if you should feel guilty or not. I don't really even like the word should because that denotes judgment and... Uh, if you feel guilty, that's your issue to deal with. I often say guilt is a wasted emotion, but uh, in this case, um, you know, I think guilt may be warranted. Um, so it's, I don't know what you should do, but you, he needs to talk to his wife. You need, communication is key. He needs to decide if he wants to stay in his marriage and and then move on from there. And if he does want to stay in his marriage, I'm sorry, but I do believe he should end the affair with you. What do you think, Andrew? Solid advice? <laughs> okay, thanks. Yes. Um, but as I said, this first story we're going to be talking about is Oscar-worthy. It is a very interesting story, and the end result is tremendous sadness. We don't really know how it's ended just yet, but there are many aspects of the situation, one of which is parental alienation, which is a heartbreak. And when I come back, Jim is going to join me, and he's going to share his story of parental alienation. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. It is my pleasure to be here with you every Sunday evening live. And thank you so much for being here with me. I want to talk about a, a very tough subject, uh, very challenging for any child who's been through it. Children, what children of divorce want most and need most is to maintain healthy and strong relationships with both of their parents. And they need to be shielded from their parents' conflicts. But something occurs that involves programming of a child by one parent to denigrate another. It's known as parental alienation. A psychiatrist Richard Gardner developed the concept of parental alienation syndrome 20 years ago, and it is defined as a disorder that arises primarily in the context of child custody disputes. Its primary manifestation is the child's campaign of denigration against a parent, a campaign that has no justification. It results from the combination of a programming or brainwashing, parents' indoctrinations, and the child's own contributions to the vilification of the targeted parent. Jim joins me on the line. Jim is a target of parental alienation. Jim is no saint. <laughs> He's going to share his story. None of us are. Jim, how are you? 
I'm all right, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I was kidding about the no saint, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. We all are in the same boat. <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. This is a very tough subject, parental alienation. It's, you've had a very challenging and difficult pathway to get you to this place. Um, you have four children, and uh, you've just gone through a divorce, a very nasty divorce, a very public divorce, because divorce in the state of Georgia is by jury trial, which adds to the public humiliation and shame. So you've suffered a significant amount. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that is correct. It's not the only way uh, you can get divorced in the state of Georgia. In fact, uh, it it can be done in 30 days, but... uh, my ex uh, felt it necessary to drag me into court, and uh, after a two-week and one-day trial, um, they granted the divorce. And so, Jim, I'd, I'd like to talk about what led up to the divorce. Um, you were married for how many years? Um, Nineteen before uh, the divorce was over, but... Uh, really 18 before I was, uh, you know, my, my affair was discovered and I was out of the house shortly after that. And extramarital affairs are something that I see a lot of in my clinical practice. I talk a lot about on this show. They're very common. They're covert. Men have extramarital affairs and women have extramarital affairs. It's often said that men remain in sexless marriages uh, men cheat to remain in sexless marriages, and women cheat to leave a sexless marriage. It's a generalization, but you were also involved in a sexless relationship. Your marriage was sexless, which is defined by the experts as sex less than 10 times a year. Yeah, that uh, that would mean mine was extraordinarily sexless. <laughs> uh, Yours and every time. other guy out there. Well, I hope to no. God not every other guy is like this, but, uh, yeah, I had sex, uh, with my wife. It was, uh, three times in the past, uh, the past four years of the marriage. So. Right. And which makes you vulnerable. It obviously, uh, lack of intimacy in a relationship can lead to, um, adverse events, shall we say, uh, can lead men to view porn it can lead to chronic masturbation for people, and it can lead to infidelity. And uh, during that period of time of four years where there was no intimacy in the relationship, what, what did that feel like for you? Um, <clears throat> well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I frankly could have done without the intimacy, the sexual intimacy, that is, um, if in fact uh, she had frankly just been nice to me, that's the one thing that I asked for throughout the marriage. I look back now, and and uh, that was the one thing I consistently asked for. I never worried about, you know, I didn't care about the clothes being done. She didn't work; I worked. So she, she didn't work outside of the home. Let's be clear. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a fair statement. Um, but I didn't worry about dinner being cooked. I didn't worry about dishes in the sink. I didn't worry about, you know, 
any of that stuff, whether or not it had or had not been done. Um, but what I did want is for her to be nice to me. So specifically the answer to your question, uh, without the sexual intimacy, uh, the marriage was very lonely. Um, and I didn't go necessarily seeking anything outside the marriage. No, we'll we'll, was, we'll get to that. But what did you what did you want when you say you wanted her to be nice to you? Give me an example of what either what she did or didn't do. Um, in all honesty, she didn't. Uh, we didn't talk. You know, I look back over the past five years prior to me put, being put out of the house. Um, we really didn't talk. Now. Did we converse? Yes. We talked about what the kids needed, you know, what what we would do for dinner, where we might go on vacation. Um, but she didn't talk to me. She, you know, again, she didn't work outside of the house, but she had time, you know, for her friends, and she would do lunches and everything else. And I just think it was a function of her being kind of talked out by the time I got home and, uh, there was, uh, I'll use the word apathy. There was just apathy toward me mm-hmm. and toward what I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so you felt very lonely in the marriage. We're going to go to the break now, and um, when I come back, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, further about what, what led you outside of the marriage. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. On the line with me is Jim. Thanks for staying on the line, Jim. Uh, Just to give you a little frame around the story that we're talking about, we're talking about parental alienation, but lots of things led up to the parental alienation that Jim is now experiencing from half, at least half of his four children. Parental alienation involves a set of strategies, including bad-mouthing the other parent, limiting contact with that parent, erasing the other parent from the life and mind of the child forcing the child to reject the other parent through whatever strategy that may be. Jim, thanks for staying on the line. You're welcome. So um, you and I met, I, um, I should let the listeners know, we met because you found my TEDx talk online, The No Sex Marriage, Masturbation, Cheating, Loneliness, and Shame. And it resonated with you. You thought you maybe were the only person who was experiencing a sexless marriage. By this time... Um, you found yourself heading to court. You had been tossed out of your ho- your house, and um, many other troubles ensued. One part of your story, which you talked about just before the break, is that you had uh, what you called an extramarital affair. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You felt lonely in the marriage. You you felt your wife wasn't nice to you. There was there was no intimacy, and you had an extramarital affair. Can you tell me a little bit about why and how that happened? Sure. Um, I hate to say it like that because it sounds so juvenile, quite honestly. Uh, but I, I look back and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's really a very, very simple formula. Um, I found myself more lonely for uh, just a conversation and that's what that's what started it. Um, this person I knew, but only as an acquaintance, uh, you know, and there was nothing 
ever between us. Mm-hmm. Um, she was estranged from her husband. They were going through a divorce, and uh, we literally struck up a conversation, and um, uh, that really is how it got started. I mean, one conversation led to another. She was interested in what I did. She asked questions about my day. She asked questions about my job. And uh, I found it very awkward at first because I frankly wasn't used to anyone caring, you know, mm-hmm. or being interested enough to even ask. And, I, I think um, you said to me at one time, she said to you, how are you? And and that was basically all it took. That's That's exactly right. I mean, it's just... It's such a simple formula, and uh, what I, I what I see now when I look back is how vulnerable I was to that. Yes, and the affair was found out by your ex-wife. It was, and it it was it was met with bitterness and, and rage. Is there a better way to describe it? Which is not, it's um, not surprising. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, I mean, no. many, many women would be uh, irate, would just be beside themselves. It would be the end of the marriage for many women. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't, uh, I don't blame her. Uh, I certainly don't blame her for my decisions. They were mine. Yes. I made them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the point at which she decided that that was that she she couldn't live with me. There was no reason for the divorce to be nasty, and uh, it did not have to take the the track that it took. And uh, it it became very contentious very quickly. Even after I laid all the financials out for her and asked her what she wanted. Um, she just told me that, you know, she wanted, she thought she wanted to go to court. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, that's where it was headed. And, and, you know, I would like to take a step back because many couples come into my clinical practice and they have experienced infidelity. Um, and it's not the end of the marriage or they're in a, even taking a further step back. They're in a sexless marriage and one doesn't want to have sex with the other, but they want to remain married. And when I outline the risks, uh, you know, I'm often not believed that uh, infidelity is a risk. And I will tell you that in my clinical practice anyway, I, I mostly see women with low sexual desire, although men can have low sexual desire as well. But the women will say, I'm, I don't want to have sex with him. But if he did have an affair, I would kill him. If I out, if I outline the risks and say, you know, he may have an affair, or that's one of the risks. That and what would you do then? And the answer inevitably is, I would kill him. And and so it's it's you can see where couples get to a standstill. Now, in your situation, where there there must have been. Uh, it was an, it sounds like an acrimonious relationship. It sounds like maybe there was some unresolved conflict. There Maybe you were at a standstill. You weren't really communicating, speaking with each other, being nice to one another. Perhaps you were being nice to her, but you felt she wasn't being nice to you. This is a risk of that type of a marriage, an extramarital affair, as you described, vulnerable, 
uh, not wanting somebody just to ask how you are. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's 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 almost juvenile for me to say it and describe it that way, but frankly, it's it's just that simple. And thankfully, she didn't kill me, but she did. <laughs> she did near about emotionally kill me. Um, and with respect to my kids, uh, it's a nightmare. Um, I miss my kids terribly. And so this is where you've ended up. You've ended up with a you know split of the assets that that you weren't happy with, um, and that's what happens in divorce. You know, it's a it's a big financial hit, and many people stay together so they won't have to have that financial hit. But you you feel that perhaps she got more than than you did. Um, but the bigger pain is the the relationship now that you have with your children. Can you describe what's going on now with your kids a few months after the divorce, really a couple months after the divorce was? Yeah, certainly. Um, let me describe their ages first. Uh, mm-hmm. 25-year-old, three boys, and my youngest is a girl. Uh, 25-year-old is my stepson, her son, from a, her second marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have um, our 19-year-old, then a 16-year-old, and my 14-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Our three biological children uh, just stopped talking to me um, altogether. Well, I shouldn't say that. My 19-year-old stopped talking to me from the beginning because she involved him immediately, told him what I had done, and told the other two as well. Mm-hmm. She told all the kids what I had done. Um, my 16-year-old son uh, was probably the most forgiving uh, during the, the time. My daughter, who was 14 years old, um, spent some time with me uh, after I was out of the house, but very, very infrequently, and now she doesn't speak to me at all. Um, I've got no communication with her at all, and uh, I, I, I can't even explain it. Uh, Do you feel, after hearing the definition and reading some of the materials that I sent to you about parental alienation, do you feel that this... Uh, is a contributing factor to what has gone on. I mean, part of it is involving the children. Parents should never involve the children in their marital conflict. Rule number one, it's unsettling for kids. Kids need insecurity. They need to know everything is going to be fine, regardless of the path the parents are taking. Um, So there's also... Uh, if there has been fear instilled, if, if one of the parents has a, a personality disorder like narcissistic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder, they have a tendency to instill fear in children, uh, and that's involved in parental alienation as well. I have to say I'm a 100% believer in children need both parents. So I'm just saying this to the listeners out there. If you're using your children in any way as a pawn against your ex, you you know, turn around, stop it right now. Like it is the worst thing you can do to your children. The tactics of alienating parents are tantamount to extreme psychological maltreatment. This is, you are isolating your children, you are terrorizing your children, you are creating a pathway to a psychologist by the time they are maybe 20 or 25 or 30, but that is the way um, it, it is uh, 
parental alienation is a serious mental health condition and also the danger that you inflict upon your children is tantamount to abuse. So I am completely against alienating children unless, of course, uh, there has been, uh, which is not the case here, um, there has been sexual abuse or some other type of trauma um, with one of the parents, but that is not the case here. And so children need both parents regardless of the conflict that you're unable to resolve. Um, so you, you're, one of your children is speaking to you. Yes, actually, um, the oldest, her son, and I still maintain some communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 19-year-old uh, was speaking to me. We just recently had a hard conversation between us, and uh, it was clear to me that there was a lot said in the household after I was out, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and her father you know, we live in the Bible Belt in mm-hmm. Georgia. Her father is a deacon in the church. He had multiple affairs on his wife, uh, but apparently felt the freedom of conscience to uh, crucify me, if I may say it like that. Mm-hmm. Um they're, so, they're often the worst. Anyway. The other thing I want to bring up, too, is um, in your trial, uh, your ex-wife subpoenaed 60 witnesses, mostly female friends of hers, that were couple friends of yours when the two of you were married. And those right. women, I read some of the text messages as part of the deposition that they literally said they wanted to take you down. They, they, they went back 20 years to your ex-girlfriends and said, do you want to take him down? And can you say yeah. something negative about him, basically? Right, yeah. The exact phrase was, uh, do you want to help us screw him over? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, in a court of law, uh, none of that stuff really counts. I guess um, it's a really uh, interesting lesson to learn about how the court systems work, in particular in the state of Georgia. Right, but it was public case. humiliation for you. Oh, there was no question about and, it. I mean, I, and heartbreaking I did on not some level want to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was. And, and shameful when women behave that way. You know, we have a lot in the media today about how men have behaved badly. But you know what? Sometimes women behave really badly, and I think that's one prime example. But if you don't mind, Jim, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to have you hang on the line, get to the third part of this story. We're going to go to break because I want to ask you um, what you might do differently. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. We are talking parental alienation. The severe effects of parental alienation on children are well documented. They experience low self-esteem and self-hatred, lack of trust, depression, and substance abuse, and other forms of addiction. Children lose the capacity to give and accept love from their parent that they previously had a good relationship with. Self-hatred is particularly disturbing among the affected children as children internalize the hatred hatred targeted toward the alienated parent, and they are led to believe that the alienated parent did not or does not love them or want them. They experience severe guilt. 
Their depression is rooted in feelings of being unloved by one of their parents and from separation from that parent while being denied the opportunity to mourn the loss or grieve the loss of that parent or to even talk about them. Alienated children have problems with their own children and they may actually become alienated from their own children later in life. They have conflicted relationships with their future partners and friends. This is a very disturbing byproduct of divorce. Jim has been on the line talking about this, and Jim has been experiencing parental alienation in different forms from a number of his four children. Jim, you're still there. Thanks for hanging there with me. This is a... This is a much bigger, deeper, and complex story than what we're able to convey tonight. But um, just for those who are just joining the program now, you were married for 18 or 19 years. The last four years were sexless. You actually um, found comfort outside of the marriage and uh, had what you termed as, if you recall, I said to you, I wouldn't necessarily call your your five experiences, intimate experiences with this woman an affair, um, which I remember su- surprised you, but you went outside of the marriage and the marriage ended in divorce and a very acrimonious divorce. And now you are experiencing parental alienation. So you've been through a lot. I hope you hang on the line and listen to the PTSD segment that I have coming up in the second hour. <laughs> but but you <laughs> you have been through a lot. <laughs> and yeah, uh, actually, it's interesting, Maureen, what you just said about uh, the children um, wanting to love but finding it difficult to love. My 19-year-old son said that very thing to me. Of course. He's you know, and he's so conflicted that I can only think that my 14-year-old daughter is that much more conflicted. Absolutely, she and she's younger. Have, yes, she doesn't have the years behind mm-hmm. her that would provide her ability to understand and to cope. And and that's my ex-wife has not given my children a pathway for forgiveness, they they don't, they, it's just not there because she has taught them that, you know, you don't have to forgive. It's, this is something you don't forgive. Right. But I, I, I'm not sure she is aware of the damage that she is potentially inflicting on your children and her children. But given all that has occurred, Jim, and we've summarized it, basically, it is going to come out. It will be up for an Oscar in a few years after we do the screenplay, um, because it was a very interesting legal case. Uh, 900 pages of a deposition. Um, what would you do looking back? Uh, what would you do differently now that you know the outcome? Or or would you do anything differently? Well, that is a very broad question. Um, So I think if I were going to do something differently, I'll remind you and your audience that, uh, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. I I became a Christian uh, at the age of 15, so... What I am telling you and I'm telling the audience is that I did this as a born-again Christian. You know, I did it. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, you know, uh, 
I understand the grace of Christ and what that means. But something that's very interesting is in Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs chapter 5, uh, verses 8, uh, 9, and 10. 8, keep your way far away from her and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that that is about the adulterous woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. But my hard-earned goods went to my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, what, what would I have done differently? Looking back, I would have followed what I knew was right then, which was not to marry her. Oh. But she got pregnant. Back. Right. Yes, she yeah. got pregnant, So, and I wasn't going to allow my son to be born without a father. So we're going way back, which is often what I do in my clinical practice. We are out of time, Jim. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for staying up late for me on the West Coast. We're going to do a podcast about all of the different aspects of your divorce, so look forward to that. And uh, thanks again, um, because I do want to talk to you about um, what your relationship is with the woman you had the extramarital affair with. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. We have lots to talk about on this uh, side of the program as well. We're going to be talking about Deb Evans' weight loss journey and how she dealt with dropping 33 pounds, uh, being a stressed out single working mother. (laughs) Um, Also going to be talking about uh, how uh, aging and how urine can determine your age and PTSD treatments. And But we're still hanging over a little bit from the first hour when we were talking about um, parental alienation. And I have Curtis on the line. Hello, Curtis. Hello. Hey, Curtis. Hey. How are you? Good. Good. I just wanted to commiserate with your... uh... (laughs) previous guy there, because I suffered from uh, both of uh, those symptoms. Uh, sexless marriage was mainly due to uh, my wife not, she wanted to have more children, and I was, a, uh, after we had our first child, I was a stay-at-home dad for three or four years, while she, and she was a, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so she went, she wanted to go back to work, and I said, oh, yeah, that's fine, and then I just, and she wanted to have more kids, and I said, well, we haven't had sex for three years, so... (laughs) Where are we going to get one? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I don't... Yeah, and I'm not... (laughs) I I don't want another child because we don't have... We don't have a, you know, a sexual relationship that's that's satisfying for me. So I just said, well, no, I don't want to have another another kid. I don't want to be a stay-at-home dad, but that, I mean, that, that's manageable. But then that was followed by divorce and parental alienation. And so, and I'm, I haven't, I haven't seen my kid in 20 years. I, and I get this, I, I, I try to find him on, uh, on social media, but uh, he's just not there yet. Oh. And I assumed, you know, when he became a teenager, he would try to reach out, but right. he just—it just hasn't happened yet. So I'm—I'm um, still—I'm still in that stuck phase. 
I am so sorry. It's been 20 years. I, I can't actually be people do this to yeah. other people. It's and, terrible. And, 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 and she's a divorce lawyer. She and a total hypocrite because she, uh, you know, she, she advises her clients to, to make contact with their kids as much as they can. Right. But then she, she takes my kid away. Yeah. And just doesn't let me see him. You know, I heard a divorce lawyer one time say to one client, um, this is completely wrong. You should have access to your child. This is outrageous. I'm going to slam that you know, woman, blah, blah, blah. And then literally five minutes turned around and said to about another client, he should never see his child again. <laughs> yeah, well, like completely the opposite. I mean, I spend a year's salary trying to fix it, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't worth the price of admission. Oh, uh, well, I'm so... It never, it never happened. But. I'm so sorry, Curtis. Did you find love again, at least? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I got, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, there could be more sex, but that's... That's what you all okay, say, you know, okay? I, you you're know, all singing the same sexless. song. <laughs> once a week is not sexless, though. So it's not. Once a week is great. Yeah, that's fine with me. Compared to my clinical practice, it. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, and do you have more kids? No. Uh, no. No. Okay. Just, uh, we have, I have the one, but my, uh, my wife now has, she has, she has two kids. Okay. They have some 20s. children in your life. Yeah, I, they're in their 20s and... I hope you and good. your son connect one Everything, day. Everything's good. Yeah. Well, I, I do hope you and your son connect one day, and, and it's never so too late. Too. Yeah. Well, all the best. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks, Maureen. And listening to the show. Did you watch my TEDx talk, by the way? Yes. Oh, okay. Twice. <laughs> oh, okay. Twice. <laughs> oh, that's why it's had 11 million views. All of you guys right. are watching it. It's really only had 5 I million views. I showed it to others, and actually four times, because I showed it to others. <laughs> Listen, the Jim, the guest who was on before, listened to it 16 times. So actually, the net views are a lot lower. But anyway, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. All, all right. right. Take care. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, okay, bye. All right. Take care. I have Matt next on the line. Hello, Matt. Hello, you're heading eastbound <laughs> on Highway 1? <laughs> I am, I am. How are you? Not too bad, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. No, you're, what you're talking about with uh, parent alienation uh, rings kind of true to me, and um, I guess if you could use the word victim, I would be the victim of, of that. You know why I don't like to use the word victim? Because I think victim paralyzes people in a way. I think right. target is a much uh, more accurate term. And so, like you know, when we, when we become victims, we are, we're weakened. When we're targeted, it's an entirely different story. Right. Right? So, right. but you've experienced parental alienation. What was your story? Well, um, I grew up um, in sort of like a quote-unquote perfect family, but uh, Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my mom is by the book, hard as you can go, Roman Catholic. Um, so I was naturally brought up and raised in a private school, and um, I wanted to pursue music. So at grade seven, I entered the public school system, went through a very hard transition, and I've since turned uh, atheist. So it's, it's a bit of a transition. Didn't the Catholic uh, school, this is off the subject, but didn't the Catholic school have music? Um. I had training, you know, we had, uh, I, I went to Catholic school as well, um, yeah. and yeah, no, we had, um, I had singing training, we had competitive singing, we had all sorts of musical instruments, like that's really was where my musical background was embedded, and I'm, okay. I'm, I'm very much um, in a relationship with music today. 
you guitar go. singing yeah. in the shower or the car. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. So what happened to you're an atheist and then you got married? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm married happily. I mean, we're only married for for two years, but uh, we already bought a townhouse. We had two beautiful little kids. Um, so I'm I'm trying to put as many building blocks in place to to change things, but uh, there is a significant uh, divide between my family and myself. Oh, um, I see. So it's a different sort of parental alienation. It's that your parents have alienated themselves from you because you've gone atheist. That's right. I see. That's right. And uh, uh, it's it, it's kind of sad, and and my kids are starting to feel the effect of that. Not yeah. me, but uh, but you know they they want to see their grandchildren, and then the grandchildren don't recognize them because they only see them once a month, and it's it's a little heartbreaking. But uh, I really like how you said target versus victim. That's, yeah, that's- absolutely. You've been chosen, and you know the thing is, people lose out on so much quality relationship time that, you know, builds memories and builds bonds and all because of some social construct or, you know, some institution, quite frankly, the the Catholic Church or any religious institution. I mean, there's faith and then there is um, a building that, you know, is is set up. And, you know, really, I don't think we were placed on this earth to suffer like that. I think we were placed on this earth to have relationships. I mean, when we don't have relationships or good relationships, you know, we we become lonely, we become ill, we become tired, we become depressed. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's all about the relationship. Well, hopefully, you will not allow this to happen to, you know, when, when things happen in families, families often go one way or the other and hopefully you'll ensure that your relationship with your children is is healthy and and you accept them for whomever they are and when whatever they believe absolutely yeah yeah we can learn from these uh, negative experiences as well so i wish you all the best of luck hopefully your parents are listening and you know uh, to quote dr phil give your heads a shake out there that aren't uh, talking to family for whatever reason it's ridiculous life is too short i Matt, agree Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Take care. Uh, I will. I just wanted to read. I got a couple of uh, messages here, which I thought was um, this was interesting. Dear Maureen, men seem to lose a lot with divorce. Still, I think that is unfair. They get hammered more often than not. Julie, that from a woman. Um, also, dear Maureen, your guest from the South sounds cool. <laughs> He is frank and correct. He said one sentence that every single woman on this planet that is married to a man should take note of or pay attention, should take note of, pay attention to your spouse, listen, ask a question. They don't need much. They don't even need much care or attention and vice versa, of course. But take an interest or someone else will and they will be gone. True enough. Um, well, this is a bit of a hot topic. I knew it would be because there's so many aspects of this that can lead up to parental alienation. But if you are considering this, if you are angry at your spouse, if you are going through a divorce and you are preventing your child or putting ideas into your child's head, just understand you are damaging your child. You are not making it any better for yourself. I'm Maureen McGrath. When I come back, we're going to talk about an upbeat story about uh, a 33-pound weight loss. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's always my pleasure to be here with you. I want to tell you about a new documentary series called Mindset Go. It follows the three-month wellness journey of eight Canadians as they discover the barriers preventing them from optimum health in mind, body, and soul. In each episode, one participant seeks to understand and overcome their negative coping behaviors, all with the encouragement and insight of various Canadian Paralympian and athlete experts who have triumphed over their adversity and learned that a positive mindset is the key to overcoming barriers. One of those stars of Mindset Go is here in the studio with me. She is a stressed out, single working professional mother. <laughs> Welcome to the studio, Deb. Thanks, Maureen. It's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, always great to have you. Now, um, you know what? You look a whole lot different than you did last year. I do. <laughs> yes. And uh, you have more vitality. And you were one of the actresses, if you will, but it's a real life. Uh, it's, it's a reality show, yeah. basically. And you you had some extra weight on you. You've lost 33 pounds, but it's not just about the weight. It's about how you transformed your life. Uh, you have described to me in the past, you know, your um, multitasking and doing it, doing everything, a type B personality, working inside and outside of the home. You are uh, a single mom um, going through yeah. a divorce. Uh, that's not really the theme of the show tonight, but it seems <laughs> that it's fairly common. <laughs> well, I was listening to the last uh, guest and I thought I'm going to be more careful than ever with my children now. Yes, yes, oh. absolutely. Devastating. Uh, it, it certainly is important. Um, so you, what made you decide to go on this journey? At what point did you say, enough is enough, this is too much for me to maintain, um, I can't go on living like this, and uh, how did you decide to transform your life? Well, it was funny. I was looking for something, and my back was going out a lot. My blood pressure was high. I put on a lot of weight. I was feeling really sluggish, but still going nonstop. And I think most women, most mums can relate to the crazy schedules, and especially if you're working. I was running a business and trying to, you know, change careers, etc. And I was just getting sicker and sicker. My blood pressure was going up. My cholesterol was high. Were you, you know. needing to go on medication for that? Oh, it was on, yeah, because it was extremely high. Wow. So I was on medication for a few years. And my doctor just kept looking at me and saying, if you don't do something to change, mm -hmm. you're just going to get worse and worse. And of and course, you're in you your 40s and your um, cardio heart disease is the number one killer of women. Did you realize that? Yes. And your yeah. blood pressure's up. You're at risk of stroke. You've got added weight on you. You know what? You don't listen, though, because you feel good at the time. And so you just think, I can just keep going and going. But then my back was getting worse and mm -hmm. worse. It was going out. And uh, even last year when I was a guest on your show, I could barely sit on the chairs here. It was just, I was my whole body was getting fatigued. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So anyhow, it was time to make a change. And I saw the casting on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I applied. And then I took a picture of myself early in the morning. I thought, I'm just going to send it. Who cares what you look like? Just send it. And then they called and asked me if I would, you know, have some interviews and stuff like that. And I got cast for the show. Okay. And you, um, what, what did that involve? Did that involve one of the biggest problems that women have? I don't see it so much in my clinical practice for men, but women have difficulty standing on the scale. 
Yes, and it was funny, but throughout the whole um, show, they would weigh me almost weekly. Mm -hmm. And even I took a break and went to Italy for a week, Mm -hmm. and they kept emailing me or like texting me that we're going to be weighing you the morning after. So it was really embarrassing. I had to do kind of like an exercise test at the beginning and a weigh-in. And the whole thing, it was like really hard to get used to, actually. And they did they decide how much weight you needed to lose? How did they do that? No, you kind of set up your own schedule. They want it to be um, something where you're kind of figuring this out somewhat on your own, yeah. But with the help of coaches or you know people mentoring you, mm-hmm. um, but they wanted you to figure out your diet and exercise routine. So we came up with the. F- um, I was going to go back to my personal trainer that I had been to before. Yes, but I had to take a break from five months because of my back. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I decided I wanted to do kickboxing. Oh, it was uh, something I'd always wanted to do, but like Muay Thai kickboxing, like the real kickboxing. So we decided- as opposed to the fake, which is what I would do. <laughs> I <laughs> just like just a different hit the air. Yeah. It's yes. quite serious, okay. and I I like serious. I like goals. I love serious. And as you can tell, no, no, go ahead. I don't like serious at all. But yeah, so I just I thought if I have a real goal, like you know belts, like they give yes. you belts, then um, I have something to strive for. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's what I've done with my career. So I wanted to kind of carry that into my personal life as well. So it worked really well. I love it. It was so much fun, like doing the kickboxing. And and how was it just the kickboxing or did you have to change your nutritional plan? Oh, nutrition wise, I totally changed the way I, I cut all sugar out, alcohol, um, carbs, you know, anything like that. And I found I got really used to the way I, I was eating kind of, it took me a little while. And even I sometimes I was are, afraid to eat. I think when people are stressed, they just grab whatever at any do. time. You don't sit down and have a meal. You yeah. eat the wrong things. You make the wrong choices. And I did that for years. Yes. And you finish off your kid's plate of food. And, yes. You know, and you don't want to waste You are their garbage something. can. <laughs> yes, don't be your children's garbage cans. <laughs> yeah. Been there. Doesn't work. So, yeah, but I got to the point at one time, because I was really wanting to stick to it, mm-hmm. where I wasn't eating enough sometimes for hours because I was, couldn't right. find the right foods yet because I was still learning, like, what doesn't have sugar in it. And if you go, like, even nuts can have sugar in it. Mm-hmm. So I finally, after, you know, probably the first six weeks, I finally figured out a diet that worked for me mm-hmm. where I could grab things. And I had to take snacks into the car and buy things I knew I could eat right. and take them with me. I had to kind of work all that out. Now yes. it's a daily habit. Mm-hmm. I've got it all. But it takes a it takes a bit of work. To, and it's quite a struggle it, to sort that all out. It's a lot of work. You know, and, I mean, I was working today, in fact, <laughs> and I had a big like Safeway bag loaded with the food that, you know, because I have to make the choices. You know, I stick to you know, the same type of nutritional plan that you um, do in in part because I was eating in a lot of restaurants because I was speaking in a lot of restaurants. And so as a result, I've learned how to order in restaurants. And, you know, one time I was over at the beach house in West Van. I don't know if you know that restaurant at all. But anyway, um, I ordered iceberg lettuce, lobster, and radish. That was my meal. The other people were having macaroni and cheese and lobsters. But, you know, you have to. Uh, and I do the know, same. Do I had that, to yeah. learn how to eat in restaurants yeah. and stuff. And, you know, well, certain restaurants I can't eat at because there's nothing in there. Yeah, but I you can, can always choose something. You can always find something. Well, Deb, you look fantastic. Thank Congratulations. You. I look you. forward to Mindset Go. When's that coming up? Actually, it's coming up this Thursday, right? Oh, Thursday, March 8th is the first show. Perfect. And my show airs April 26th. Wonderful. We'll have you back then. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. 
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.